genre. Hello, Justice Ferdom. Welcome to Beyond Geek by Night, where we will be discussing each episode of the Geek by Night podcast leading up to the series finale. On today's episode, we will be discussing the third story arc, The Fandom Menace. So get your secret quotes ready, subscribe to Janet Stokely's YouTube channel, and finish reading the last book in the Liberty Saga, because we're about to go Beyond Geek by Night. I am your host, Matt Bennett. And here is our panel. I'm joined today by creator and executive producer, Scott Corelli. Hey, everybody. Executive producer, Nick Jimenez. Hello. Cassandra Fredrickson, uh, co-executive producer and writer of The Fandom Menace. Hi. Zach Luna, who voices Joel Vickers. Hey, everyone. And Kristen Miller, who voices Janet Stokely. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Hey, thanks for having us. (laughs) So as a little recap of this story arc, Fandom Menace comprises episodes 9 through 12 of Geek by Night. Gwen continues her job at Nostalgia Productions, formerly Nostalgia Toys, and finds out that her proposed franchise for Werewolf Fairy Tales has been launched as a book and film series, The Liberty Saga. Janet Stokely is tapped as the lead of the film franchise. But soon after she lands the role, finds out that she is quickly forgotten by anyone who meets her. Gwen uses her body switching powers to investigate Max Carmichael's rival series, Justice Unleashed. Janet causes a commotion at a bar due to her powers. The underdogs bring her back to Swift Industries, but she escapes and aggressively addresses a crowd of dueling Liberty and Justice fans. Gwen shows up to save the day and stops Janet from hurting anyone, but Janet escapes the chaos. Afterwards, Gwen quits her job in front of Joel, who soon ends up selling his stake in Nostalgia Productions to Max Carmichael for $1. Meanwhile, Janet is able to slip away, but not before she runs into a mysterious woman. All the right. mysterious woman. Yeah. <laughs> the mysterious woman. Capital T, yes. Um, so we have a few newcomers to Beyond Geek by Night, and... What I always like to start out with is asking people how they got involved with the Geek by Night show. So, Kristen, as Janet Stokely, the antagonist of the episode, I thought we would start with you. Uh, What's your story in getting involved with Geek by Night? I got involved in Geek by Night because I knew Scott. We did a short film together one very, very warm summer day in a very (laughs) tiny, very crowded apartment. And uh, I had so much fun doing that role. I kind of stepped in and at the last minute, somebody had a conflict and couldn't film. So I got to play a really fun role with uh, that film group um, because I knew somebody else that knew Scott. And that's how I found out that he makes all kinds of creative fun things. And when he put out a casting call, Um, I knew I wanted to be part of that. So I auditioned and got cast as the antagonist, which is a lot of fun. Very cool. Uh, Zach, what about you? How did you get involved? I know this isn't Joel's first episode, but... uh... No, it's it's not, but it's um, the story is kind of similar, I guess. I I knew of Scott because I used to listen to his Buffy podcast a lot, and through that, I, like, listened to some of the other things in Dueling Genre, and he just put out a casting call kind of randomly so it was literally just a cold submission type thing where i sent in an audition and then they i guess they liked it 
And and now he's like one of my best friends, which is hilarious. <laughs> and then Cassandra, you're a contributor to Geek by Night behind the scenes, writing and directing. So how did you come across Geek by Night and what's your favorite part of working on the show? Um, Basically, Scott texted me and was just like, hey, me and Nick are rebooting the show. I want you to write for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've known Scott for like a decade at this point, I think. Um, Jesus, and- is that true? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like 2010, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was, um, I was shocked at first, I think, because, um, I, at the time did not have a good experience, like co-writing anything with anybody. Um, but I really like working on this show. I like collaborating with people. Um, and, um, as far as my favorite part of the show, um, I don't know. There's a lot of, I really like meeting with Scott and Nick trying to like bounce story ideas. Um, I really like um, directing, like the directing aspect, like listening to um, our actors say the lines that have been like rattling inside my head for like months at a time when we're writing sometimes. So that's really cool. Um, Yeah. I'm just really, really happy to be involved. And I love these guys. They're the best. No, you're the best. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, something that I want to bring up right away with uh, the title of the episode being The Fandom Menace, and mm. this episode originally being released in a pre Last Jedi world. Yeah. Um, you know, so, since then, the toxicity within the Star Wars fandom has grown and is often referred to as The Fandom Menace. So was this term something that was commonplace at the time of writing, or is it just coincidental that now this kind of has a new meaning? Uh, Completely coincidental. Um, And in fact, it's I I actually, in this re-release, I toyed with the idea of renaming it because it bothered me so much Um, uh, because of that. Um, You know, to the point where it's almost like the next episode, like Gibson's episode should be called The Fandom Menace um, at at this point. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I decided to just not not mess with it and, and let it stand on its own but um yeah, yeah it's, only, it's uh, really if unfortunate if, if only george lucas could have done the same when it came to- <laughs> <laughs> so uh fandom as an idea is something that i'm very interested in and you know this episode uh kind of pits two different fandoms together so something that i want to pose to everybody on the panel is what fandom would you consider yourself to be a part of, like officially? Uh, I don't actually know. I feel like this is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> at, at the time, well, no, at the time, at the time we were working on this, um, I was really active on Tumblr, and then as I just grew out of the website because I felt like it, the some of the fandoms that I was in and like the, the people I was interacting with, like they were just really, really toxic. And it wasn't even just star Wars stuff. It was just like really niche, like weird stuff. So I think that the, I don't know. Fandom is so complicated because I feel like the most vocal people are like the nastiest people, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like I like the community of, of it, but as far as fandoms go, I don't know. Maybe MCU. Hmm. To answer Cass's question for her, it's fa- it's uh, Phantom of the Opera. 
No, um, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> like in high school, yeah. <laughs> well, like fandom of the opera, am yes, I right? Yes, that's what, hey, that's what, that's what they like. The that's what oh. they call it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Uh. <laughs> I love you. I know. What do the people who are fans of the show "You're the Worst" call their fam- fandom? Do you think just the worsties? Clouds just just the, the the worst TM, like, like a little, <laughs> a little <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Um, sort of growing up, I was like a, a vocal fan of many things, but I've sort of distanced myself from using that terminology anymore. Sort of, I say like X thing is meaningful to me because it seems like when people make that a part of their identity, like I am a Spider-Man fan or whatever, then you have to, that you have to, if anybody critiques that thing or uh, criticizes it in, in, in a unique way, it feels like they're criticizing you. And I don't want the things I like to be part of my identity in that way. Hmm. Um, so like, if I say like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is meaningful to me, I don't have to defend everything that anybody involved with that show ever did, you know, mm, yeah. like, that, that, that doesn't become part and parcel of me. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, so like, obviously there are things I'm very passionate about that I love that are like books and movies and TV show IP, things like Spider-Man and Buffy and Lord of the Rings and star Wars. Like those are my big ones, you know, uh, the princess bride, but I don't, uh, I don't say I belong to the fandom of any of those things at this point. That's a really interesting idea. And I like the, um, the comment that you make, like when you pull in an external thing into your identity, it it Mm -hmm. can get really complicated, especially if the creators of those go off the rails or (laughs) or they Mm -hmm. make content in the future that you don't agree with. Like all those people who named their children, you know, (laughs) Aria or Daenerys or or whatever. (laughs) Um, Then, you know, regretting that. Hopefully. (laughs) Um, But the first fandom that I was ever part of, was Harry Potter mm-hmm. in the early like 2000s and I got really involved in some like in MuggleNet and this is maybe kind of embarrassing but I was involved in a lot of Harry Potter groups in Neopets oh my oh. goodness <laughs> yeah that's yeah, what amazing I know <laughs> and actually so this is ridiculous but I credit that fandom with teaching me how to build websites because I created all these fan pages on Neopets and I played around with HTML and CSS like pre-YouTube so just looking at code and playing around and figuring it out and I would have never gotten into any of that if it hadn't been for how much I really liked Harry Potter and I wanted to talk to people about Harry Potter. And so I think uh, fandom and being a fan of things can be really powerful and motivating. And so I think that's why so many people pull it into their identity, but I do think it's healthy to sort of step away from that a little bit, like Zach said, Mm -hmm. but yeah, Neopets. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) I, I, I agree with that. You know, like I, uh, 
I, I, I don't wake up in the morning and think of myself as a Whovian, uh, a member of the Doctor Who fandom, and yet I've been watching the show since 2005, and I record a podcast with Cassandra and Scott where we are making our way through the entire mythos, the entire canon of Doctor yeah. Who, and I have very strong opinions and beliefs about what makes that show great and why that show matters. And and I, I think about all of the friendships that I made, particularly when I first stepped out into the world in college and started meeting people who were like then obsessed with the 11th Doctor and Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and Stephen Moffat. And it became kind of an uh, entry point to make real human connections that I, I still have today. And I really think that, and, and I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was reading those, uh, those short stories that the BBC has been putting out uh, online written by like Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall and, and what have you, Russell T Davies. And I'm, I'm reading these stories. I'm like, wow, I, I really love Dr. Who. And this really has become like a, uh, and, and yeah, like I, I, but I also, you know, Scott and Cass and I are the first ones to, on the podcast be like this episode sucked or like we don't like where the show is right now or we hope this it gets better and i think that is part of uh loving something while not having it be your identity because i think that or you know not letting it become like uh i i, I think of the difference between like finding power and solace and a faith and religion and using that same religion as a weapon or yeah. letting letting fear guide that, or like you better believe how I do, or I'm literally going to cause you physical harm. Which yeah. is sometimes how the Star Wars fandom can feel, or how any kind of fandom can feel. And I, yeah. I think it's I think it's about taking taking what you want. And you know, I'm looking right now, and I have a I have a Lando Donald Glover bobblehead and an L three three seven bobble Funko Pop on my on my shelf right now, and. <laughs> That's a flawed movie. That is not a perfect movie. Solo, a Star Wars story. But I can take things out of that that I love and celebrate that while not being like, if you don't like Solo, uh, you're a you're a bad person, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which isn't true. Yeah, Nick mentioning the Doctor Who fandom uh, brings me to another good point. So this story arc, along with you know, real life contains a lot of toxic fandoms, but what are the least toxic fandoms any of you have encountered? Avatar. Like That's a good one. James Cameron Avatar. show? <laughs> Without question, the James Cameron Avatar fandom. <laughs> it is just Not a really. bunch of, it is just a bunch of nice, mild-mannered, eco-friendly dorks. <laughs> that is fascinating. That just That's like so funny. <laughs> Just like teaching each other Navi words online. <laughs> and it's so pure and it's so not cool. It's the best. How it should be. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a, a, probably a key to finding a, a, a fandom with low toxicity is something that's like not cool at all. Like something mm-hmm. extremely dorky is what you would have to, to look for. Like right now, this doesn't really count, but I'm thinking of like, uh, my girlfriend's gotten really into embroidery lately and she like interacts with like, there's just Instagrams of embroidery people. And like, she doesn't know these people personally and they're so supportive of her posts. They're just all 
you know, sharing tips Mm -hmm. about where to get the best embroidery thread and floss and how to build stands so your hands don't hurt. And it's just nice people helping each other out. I guess that's more of a hobby than a fandom, but I think that the online communities sort of, they all operate on the same software and it just depends on what they're focusing on. And maybe if you find a dorky enough uh, interest that not a lot of people know about, then it's less likely to attract jerks. Maybe? Question mark? (laughs) I don't know. Bob Ross. Bob Ross fans, just happy. Yes. Following along on paint. Like, people do that with MS Paint. They just follow along with Bob Ross episodes. What? That's a great Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, I've been uh, getting involved with a lot of uh, drawing and art tutorial communities and stuff the last few weeks, and people are really great. They are very passionate about what they do, but they're very inviting and very accepting of people who are are not as uh you know it's not their life and yeah, I, i've right. seen that with a lot of to- uh non-toxic fandoms is people who are the most accepting of those who aren't quote-unquote real fans i don't know what yeah. this says about me as a person but i don't know that i've ever been in a fandom that didn't have like some kind of crazy drama sure. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's just because of like the like the media that was that I was into or just like the amount of people that um, were interacting with each other online. Uh, but man, there are some, yeah. Or if, just you were horror mostly, stories. if you were mostly interacting with that fandom on Tumblr, Tumblr is a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. Tumblr is a hot mess. Twitter's a hot mess. I just, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's like a chemical equation. You mix passion with nerddom, with social interaction, social interaction breeds sometimes tribalism or, you know, cliques or egos and yeah. re- relationships. People break up, people get into fights. Oh, I wrote that. No, I wrote that. No, this fandom, there don't, that ship is toxic. That ship is abusive or what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I once read about people who like ship Patrick and SpongeBob and. <laughs> But then there are people who are like, no, because if you go back and watch, Patrick is a horrible friend to SpongeBob, and he's not. It's not a healthy friendship because he gaslights SpongeBob a lot. And I'm like, they have a point. There are plenty of episodes where Patrick's not a good friend to SpongeBob. (laughs) Yeah. So with the with the two fandoms of of Justice and Liberty in the episode, obviously there's a lot of uh, influence from the twilight series or other young adult series but in in writing this episode or in putting this episode together were you thinking of any community specifically or just trying to uh kind of amalgamate them um i think i was just going for like an amalgamation or we were just going for an amalgamation just like experiences um i see i was in i was like knee deep in twilight when it was like in its heyday so mm-hmm. i was kind of pulling from a, a lot of that too um it just i don't know this episode's fun but it also tackles like some like weird internet stuff that i feel like we could only do in an audio drama mm-hmm. um we, we're, we, we're allowed to get super niche about it because we don't yeah. have to worry about communicating to a larger audience really yeah Hmm. Yeah. Were you uh, were you Team Edward or Team Jacob? I was Team Therapy. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> By the time the fourth book came out, I was like, "What 
is happening. I'm just finishing this because I'm finishing it out of spite because I've invested so much time in this, but I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Did you read the little novella that came out in between about Dakota Fanning's character? I think so. Yeah. Uh, the, se- the short secret life of Brie Tanner. Yes, exactly that. Yes, that so was like a fa- like a fever dream of a time. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. So let's shift gears here to Janet Stokely, this story arc's antagonist. Um, uh-huh. I'll start with uh, kind of behind the scenes. So, where did this character of Janet come from, and is she based on anybody? The uh, well, the name uh, is I, I can't remember if this has come up before, but uh, Stokely is the name of Clea Duvall's character in The Faculty, who is hmm. uh, one of my favorite film characters, and Clea Duvall is one of my favorite actors. So I think that was kind of like a, a fun little nerd reference. Uh, and I, I don't entirely remember. I, I you know I think Scott and Cass and I were, were very interested in sort of geek by night being a uh, a love letter to the uh, monster of the week type storytelling that was so popular in like the late nineties and two thousands with your small villain, your Buffy's and your charmed. And so we were just coming out of the one, two punch of, of uh, reboot and uh, status quo. We were eager to kind of start doing stuff like that. I think we were just breaking and talking about different kinds of characters and different kinds of adversaries that the underdogs come into contact with. And I don't entirely remember the road that led to creating Janet as a character. Scott and Cass, maybe you have more clear memories of that? I don't remember no. at all. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I do, I, I've always, despite the fact that like um, Cass and Jake wrote this episode, I always associated this character with you, Nick. I feel like this was, I feel like Janet was a little bit more your baby, um, but I don't I don't remember because she was like, you know, based on like vloggers and stuff. Yeah, that's true. You it's, know, it's and, more and, your culture than mine. Yeah. And, you know, Scott, you, you mentioning that kind of unlock going back to Matt's question uh, about fandom around about 010, 011, you know, the dawn of my college years. I did kind of a, a friend of mine from college. She got me into the world of vloggers. And there was a couple of year period where I was watching like Charlie McDonald or Hannah Witten, Lex Croucher, mostly UK vloggers. Cause I found them to be a bit more chill than the U S yeah. ones a little it was a little more like i'm a person making videos and a little less like please put me on the eat network i really want to have a talk show please god let me go on (laughs) (laughs) i need money i need validation and uh and yeah and i think janet kind of stemmed from watching those videos and being like oh wow like these are real people these are real kids and yet they're having to grapple with fame that maybe they didn't want or ask for and that's such a weird double-edged sword when it comes to being an entertainer or any kind of uh, artist in, in like, you know, visual media is like, oh, I, I do this because I want to. I want, I love being an actor or I love being a comedian or whatever. But the double-edged sword is if I get really successful at that, you know, if you're a really successful lawyer, you get your name on the window. But if you're a really successful actor, 
people are going to take photos of you and your partner for the rest of your life and like make memes out of you when you're like going through a divorce and smoking or mm. having a mental breakdown and or making fun of the way your face looks when you're in a crying scene, you know? And so I don't know. I have a lot of empathy for Janet. She's honestly one of my favorite characters to write, especially when we enter uh, uh, trash can Janet, as I call her later on, <laughs> when, when her life starts falling apart. It's one of my, one of my favorite characters to write. <laughs> so Kristen, uh, Janet Stokely herself, uh, how mm-hmm. do you, what do you think about when you're playing Janet? Is there anybody in particular or, um, you know, how, how do you build that character? Well, oh, that's a good question. I I love to act. Um, I've done a lot of acting um, on stage and on screen, and so it's fun to build characters. And but here's the thing: is that I a lot of roles that I am age appropriate for end up being either sort of like the sweet love interest. Um, and so I've played that role a lot and it's super boring. <laughs> and, um, I loved building this character or like thinking about her because I think there's a p- piece of that, that she kind of starts out that way. Like she is sort of sweet. I mean, they cast her as the love interest. Right. So I like that she turns into trash can Janet. I'm going to think of her like that now. Um, And it was a lot of fun to play the antagonist and slowly go off the rails um, throughout the episode, sort of as she loses it more and more. Um, Does that answer your question? I feel like I kind of got lost. (laughs) So uh, on the topic of characters, I want to move over to Joel Vickers, Zach Luna's character. Uh, oh, okay. Joel started the series as a pretty minor character, um, has some uh, comic relief and fun conversations in the first few episodes, but grows in importance uh, significantly towards uh, later in the series. So what led to this development of Joel? Uh, are you asking oh. me or the creators? Uh, I think that's let's let's start with the creators. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I will, I will field this one. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the thing that happened was that it was Zach, um, and uh, his performance as Joel was so good that I j- we just kept wanting to write more and mm-hmm. put him into more ridiculous situations that um, would require him to. He's just the character is just such a different energy from the rest of the cast that it he really works as a um, foil, a, a just like yeah, a, a absolutely like like just this great foil. Um, because you would think I like I just I always think about how weird our show is and how like our main antagonist in season one is uh, like you would think like, oh, it would be Joel. It would be like this like macho guy who hates nerds and like wants to <laughs> bully people around or whatever. But no, instead, it's just the biggest nerd. Like that's that's their, that's their villain is like the biggest nerd. Um, and And so the idea of like turning this character who is like just a like a jock um a jock guy who has definitely belonged to more than one uh uh, pyramid scheme in his life (laughs) i'm sure Um, uh like you know i think that i think that he um is just such a different energy from everyone else and being able to show 
the value in someone like that. I mean, Joel is largely based on um, when I wrote him initially anyway. Uh, I don't know what Nick was pulling from, but largely he was based on a a very good friend of mine um, who almost played the character uh, and then sort of bailed at the last minute. And so we put it up for um, auditions and, and then we ended up casting Zach as a result. But uh, uh, he was based on a very good friend of mine. Um, uh, you can you can see him in uh, some of the short films that I've directed. Um, but uh, he just has a very different energy. He's he's definitely like a jock. He's definitely be, been involved in things and been duped by things that he shouldn't have. But he <laughs> is just such a lovable like Labrador type of dude. And I wanted to sort of take that character and 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 you know write that character into the show because I just think it's such an interesting foil for these char- for for you know the geek by night the underdogs um, because uh, he doesn't run on anything even remotely close to logic he he weirdly runs he runs on you know gu- gusto and <laughs> feeling um, but his feelings are yeah and charisma but like he just barely scrapes by all the time um, and I and I and, and in a lot of ways it's interesting that he has such a large part in this episode because he has a lot in common with Janet I think um, in, in general because he started off very successful and then has sort of become trash can Joel now uh-huh. um, <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they actually do have a lot in common uh, as characters. I don't know why we haven't written a scene with them together. And now I'm trying to think of scenarios in which that can happen in the future. Um, Beautiful. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what it was. Is I, wanted, I wanted a very, very different character in this. And I wanted him to fit in a, a role that you wouldn't expect him to be a part of. And then, of course... Um, you know, despite the fact of being basically a glorified cameo in the first episode, but uh, we just wanted to come up with a scenario where he came back and we came up with this whole arc with, uh, with, uh, Gwen in this episode because we wanted Joel to come back, um, and, and, uh, and play with him some more because, uh, Zach was so good and funny in the role. And we, I felt like we kind of did the character dirty a little bit because he was Gwen for most of episode of the first story arc. Um, and so we wanted to to get to know Joel as a character and we get to know him a little bit here and then we really get to know him uh, in, in uh, later sure. episodes. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, mostly the answer for why he's back is, is Zach. <laughs> Zach is good. Get out of here. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know how to accept that sort of compliment. Or <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but yeah, it's very nice to hear like, oh, we liked what you did. And so we changed the shape of the show to put more of you in it. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think when you're making a show like this, or maybe any show, I don't know, you you just, you can, I, I think we could all sense how much fun Zach was having playing Joel. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, oh, there's this, this bag isn't empty yet. There's, mm-hmm. there's stuff, there's stuff in here. There's something, this would be, and yeah, just seeing Joel interact with the other, with Gwen. And then we were like, well, what, what would happen if he had to interact with all of them? You know, what would happen if we put him in a room with with Gibson and Simon and Mindy <laughs> and Lorelai? And and he just he became such a fun elastic character that we kept looking for places to to put him back in. And every time we did, it ended up leading to fun and surprising stuff. Like you know, Joel Lorelai are some of my favorite scenes, and and we 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 barely get to that until like the end of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. Happy to Cordelia for you guys. Yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah. yeah, Joel. Joel is definitely what I would call confidently gullible. Uh, that's my. <laughs> it's just a really fun character to write. Yeah. Are Are you similar to Joel at all, or is this just some some whole persona that you were able to to shape? Uh, it, it's definitely persona. I I mean, like I run a podcast about Spider Man with Scott. I'm very very far from Joel and like my personal identity. But like like any role, like like how, how Kristen was saying, you get to like uh, flex muscles you don't get to in real life in some roles. Or you get to you know play play up parts of you that aren't always at the forefront. And um, I've definitely known people with this vibe. Like I think in um, Maybe when the first uh, discussion podcast I ever did about Geek by Night, I mentioned like an old manager I used to have in LA who had this sort of this version of Joel energy, like more so than the original the original Joel who worked at a toy company. This like, hey, we're a producer, we're gonna do stuff. It's like it's totally fine, bro. Like that whole vibe was how he talked to me whenever I had a meeting with him. And um, you you meet somebody like that, oh, you're like a real person. This is how you live your life, huh? And then that just kind of lives in the back of your mind. And then I was able to sort of play it up here, but. But also it was just fun, like um, they write really like uh, chewy phrases for Joel to say. So it's kind of a way to like, um, just as an acting exercise, like Liz Lemon's not as fun without Jack. And so playing around with the Alec Baldwin of it all is, uh, is, is a fun exercise, even if I'm nothing in real life like that person, I think. I don't yeah, know. Do you no. think I'm anything like Joel? You guys know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, but Jack Donaghy is a good, a good, a good call, a good reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Zach, you're nothing like Joel. You're just a good actor. That's it. Aww. Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to. It's, uh, Scott makes fun of me for this. Like, I feel like a lot of the the main casting geek might can kind of like, all right, just I just ease into the role. I'm reading the lines. Yeah, I'm feeling it. All right, this is how Gibson would say it. Boom, and just go. And I have to like psych myself up into it. And so I have like key phrases I I, I grab onto like bad imitations of jk simmons as jk J. jonah jameson in the spider-man movies where i just like hear in my head when <laughs> it's like some uh, there's a food poisoning scare and uh ted Ramey's like some food got poisoned and he goes i'm a little nauseous yeah and like <laughs> i have to think that i have to think of that in my brain and like put myself in like dismissive like jerk voice mode <laughs> and then i uh, yeah no i can i can read this now and then like because it takes a lot of extra effort but it's just fun to try yeah the actor <laughs> prepares <laughs> uh, another larger than life character in the episode is max carmichael or uh, mc michaels mc michael uh, <laughs> uh, obviously have to have the two initials at the beginning there um what- max carmichael michaels <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, my question is just like, what is it like writing Max? Like he's such a, a ridiculous, <laughs> over the top character, and is portrayed in in this amazing way uh, that he, it, you know, he fits into all these other storylines. That uh, you know, what's what's it like forming that character and, and putting him into these stories with these other characters? Um, I mean, I just. I, when I when I created that character, I just kind of wanted him to. Um, I mean, it, the 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 relationship between uh, Max and Billy was uh, very much based on like um, peppermint patty and uh, <laughs> and uh, Marcy. Uh, 
Marcy, thank you. Oh man, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely that was definitely a huge inspiration early on. Um, and then uh, as far as Max, I I was like kind of like looking at Peppermint Patty, and I'm like, okay, what if Peppermint Patty was like a bad person and um and also like a huge nerd? Like I like the idea that he genuinely loves all of this stuff it's just that he's been given too much power and he is abusing that power but also isn't intelligent enough to realize what he's doing like he, <laughs> it, it, it's it's like he doesn't know that he's evil he just is sort of playing a role um you know he's like he's playing this this role that he's comfortable with that he's kind of seen a million times and he's not particularly good at it he's not good at being a bad guy uh, and he just like wants what he wants and he's, he's trying to do this thing and he, he does love it, but he's not willing to work for any of it. He just wants it given to him, uh, and, and feels like he deserves it. Um, probably because his, uh, life prior to getting these powers weren't, wasn't the best, which is sort of hinted at in, uh, uh, one of our last episodes, but, um, we'll get more into it in, in, uh, our final season here coming up. But, um, I just think that, you know, Max is a really fun kind of cartoony character to play. Like I wanted to have this sort of ironic villain um, in the way that the mayor in Buffy is sort of an ironic villain where, Mm -hmm. where you're just like, you're kind of like charmed by the guy, even though like, Oh God, this guy is so evil. (laughs) Like he's, he's the most (laughs) evil, but he's also like kind of charming and it's weird how evil he is. And that there's kind of an entertainment value in that. And so I wanted to create a character that was kind of similar, but in the geek culture sphere. And uh, that's kind of where um, that's kind of where this character came from. And then Scott Tofty, of course, just <sighs> knocks it out of the park every single episode. <laughs> the thing you don't know about Scott Tofty, and he's not here to to hear this. Um, and I, we're going to have to get him on here uh, uh, soon so that he can talk about all the music that he writes for the show also. Yes. But uh, the thing about Scott Tofty is that he doesn't – he never reads these scripts um, before <laughs> recording his lines. He only shows up to half of the read-throughs, like the table reads, because he's busy. He's a busy working musician. Like he's a busy guy. And so he he will – like he'll be doing his lines first through like in the recording for the lines that I'm going to put into the episode and he'll be going through it and he'll read a line and then he'll he'll laugh and he'll be like that was pretty good like he just it's the first time he's ever read it before and he knocks it out of the park every time and it's completely insane he's so effortlessly good as this character it's insane completely insane I love him so much yeah. so much <laughs> And it uh, and it gets to the point where I think you know I mean similar to all of the actors at this point where they their voices own the characters in a way that they become very pleasurable to write. It's mm-hmm. it's like you know I don't know like I I I'm I'm not a tailor I'm I've never worked in like that line of work but I for some reason when I'm writing I I, I my brain goes back to like I'm making a dress for someone or I'm making a suit for someone. And you just know their measurements and you're like, oh, I bet I know how Tofty would read this or how, how Kristen mm-hmm. would read this. And mm-hmm. Max becomes such a fun character to write because you can get a bit more. I, I kind of I, I, I think about Homer Simpson a lot when I write Max and, <laughs> and, and that he does have this kind of invincibility 
and this like where he he is kind of he is dumb and he is he is he doesn't get a lot of he doesn't know how to say stuff right or he doesn't really think about stuff before he talks because he's never had to because life worked out really well so why would he have had to change <laughs> max carmichael really is like a combination of homer simpson and millhouse like if yeah. homer simpson was millhouse that it would be it would be max carmichael why would they lie bart why would they lie <laughs> <laughs> when i write lines for max i always think about um what the most pretentious um person in my undergrad english class um would say like completely totally wrong like pronouncing stuff wrong but like with the authority of like someone who like feels like they're correct like it's it's i love max he's like a mustache twirly villain with like the impulses of an eight-year-old um, yes. and it's it's the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if anything, I mean, he kind of it says. I think the reason he's such a likable, lovable character, maybe and maybe even just for the writers, is if he were he could be Purple Man, he could be yes. the most like vile, yes. disgusting, horrifying villain ever. But there is kind of a gentleness to his spirit that he's mostly just selfish. And mm-hmm. we're lucky that we're lucky that he isn't crueler. Mm-hmm. You know that he does mm-hmm. he does just want to own a bunch of comic book shops because he thinks <laughs> that he wants all the comics for himself. He's like that kid on the playground that wants all of the toys and all of the snacks. Yes, and yeah, he, he, I don't think it, I don't think it dawns on him to cause actual pain or or suffering for people. And I think that's I don't know that's just a really weird fun needle to thread when writing a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we talked a lot about dialogue and the and the voice actors and things like that, but there's some pretty badass action moments in this episode. Uh, the one I'm thinking of particularly is when Gwen first does her body swapping power with Jennifer. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that is harder to do in audio format. And I'm wondering... You know, this body swapping power, is this something that you came up with and then you figured out how to pull it off? Or is it something that you um, kind of started with the medium and then developed powers for Gwen or or other people around? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think we I think I came up with the concept before the sound effect. The sound effect on this version of the show is different from the sound effect on the original show um on the original show i don't even remember if there was a sound effect um i think i think it might have been just like a weird music cue or something like that because i couldn't ever figure out how to make it work and then with this i really wanted to give each underdog uh like a like we 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 do have some music cues for stuff that just doesn't have a sound effect right like like uh uh you know elliot's um Elliot's uh, uh, pheromones. Pa- yeah, pheromone power. Like pheromones don't have a sound, um, so uh, <laughs> we just use the we just use that that great powers theme that Scott Tofty wrote, um, and just sort of like pop that in whenever uh, a character is using their power that doesn't have a sound effect. But for the characters that do have sound effects related to their powers, like I wanted to 
have something I mean, I don't want to say the word iconic, but like something that's like instantly recognizable. Like a Hanna-Barbera sound effect sort of. Yeah. So you're just like, you're just (laughs) sort of training the listener that like, this is what this sounds like. So when it happens later um, and we don't talk about it happening, we just have it happen. You're not going to be confused because you recognize it from the last time this happened. And um, yeah, I I just kind of, it was, it's weird because I just kind of, when I'm like coming up with the sound effects, I just sort of like think about what I want it to sound like. And then I just have to kind of break down the individual sounds that I'm thinking of and just combine things to make it into the thing that I'm hearing in my head. Uh, and uh, it, it's worked out pretty well so far. Um, I don't know. The, I, I do really like the the power or the, the sound of that. And I like the sort of overlay um, uh, uh, dialogue that we do. I think... I think maybe cool um, voices, our, yeah. yeah, I think our I think our guest actors probably hate it uh, because it's <laughs> it's really <laughs> tedious uh, for them because they have to they have to basically pretend to be uh, 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 Ray. Um, but it's uh, it's fun to put together. And I think it sounds really good in the finished episode. Um, the 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 uh, sound effects I'm most proud of, though, are in um, 107. Uh, so we'll we'll have to talk about those when we get there. But yeah, I do. I really like how this turned out, but I can't really explain or articulate um, where it came from. Yeah. I just I just like combined a bunch of sounds together until it it was what I heard in my head. And wow. uh, and, and shout out to the actor playing Jennifer. Uh, one of mm-hmm. going 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 back and listening to Phantom Menace again, preparing for this podcast, I was like, wow, way. We really, we really found a really good actor, and one of the cool things about her being Gwen is we sort of get to see her stretch herself as a performer. Where you're like, oh wow, like I actually buy her doing Gwen, um, yeah, because she's just as good as being kind of the uh, uh, spoiled sort of like in her own world actor, and then mm-hmm. being neurotic Gwen. I'm like, oh, she was, I, you know, good, good, good on Chelsea for finding a, a great, great guest actor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So the last thing I got to bring up, everybody knew it was coming, secret quotes. (laughs) I found seven. I'm sure there's a lot more than that. Um, But I have to know uh, who came up with it. Where did it come from? Um, Yeah. What's the what's the origin of, of putting this in the episode? Um, I think that was a Scott and Nick thing. Like they had to explain to me what a secret quote was because they're just like, hey, we're giving you this episode. Also, you have to like pull Star Wars quotes. And I was like, I am not good at this. You can fill in those blanks, please. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I because I was listening to it earlier and I don't remember how many there are in this script. I think there's like more than there's more than 10. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot I didn't find. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, 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 the, the secret quote thing, I mean, it's, it's just something that I've always thought about, like my whole life of just like, <clears throat> you know, um, one of the things I think we even talked about this in one of the earlier uh, Beyond Geek by Nights was that, uh, you know, nerdy uh, friends tend to have a, sort of secret language with each other where they quote these obscure things that only mean something to them, to the, to this group of friends. And that if they use those, those turns of phrases or those quotes outside of their little bubble, 
uh, they sound insane. Um, and (laughs) because, because it lacks the context for everyone else. Right. So, um, you know, when, when someone, uh, you know, and I, I, everybody has these, I think, and it's just that we kind of tried to give it a name, which was the, the secret quote. I mean, I don't know how many times I've quoted things from like the room, and I and get looked at bizarrely because, you know, that person hasn't seen that movie and doesn't know what that is, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, you know, I'll go to, I'll meet a, meet someone's dog and be like, oh, hello, doggy. Uh, and it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and they don't, they don't understand what I'm like. They're just like, why is he suddenly turning into a child? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm. I'm quoting a guy who's like, you know, vaguely foreign and we don't know where he's from and he made a movie once. I don't like you can't explain it. And so it's just like this weird secret quote that's not for anyone but yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that's sort of where the secret quote came from. Um, as far as the Star Wars thing, I mean, I think we just kind of wanted to pick pick one that was like uh, something that everyone has probably seen. And so uh, yeah. you would understand the concept of secret quotes more because if there's secret quotes coming from star Wars, they're like, you know, on a scale of secret quotes, they're like, they're like sea level secret quotes. Right. Um, because most people have seen <laughs> star Wars. And so they might not recognize those particular lines that we're calling secret quotes. Cause maybe they haven't seen it as many times as we have, but uh, mm-hmm. largely speaking, I think most people would recognize them um, yeah. even if uh, they were a, a little more obscure. Yeah, we also we could have easily done secret quotes all from 2002 Spider-Man. Heck yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> two two weeks. <laughs> hey, you can't do this to me. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm sacrificed. Actually <laughs> just Willem Dafoe lines in Spider-Man. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Something of a oh, sign. Boy, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, I thought about. I joked about this off mic, but I tried to remember, like, if I do any Star Wars secret quotes or other movie secret quotes in my own life, and I wrote down a couple while we were talking. Um, like one that sticks in my mind was the time that I got like secret quote quizzed by a friend of ours, like when we was first learned. Mm. So my uh, a friend of ours, my girlfriend, uh, used to work with this gentleman who is a, a film and TV director, very nice guy, and uh, when he was first getting to know me. Uh, Bethany made some offhand comment about how much I like star Wars. And he like sent her a text that was like, tell him 94. And then I like met, sold her a message back. Just like 94 with like a, a period at the end of it. And like the fact that I knew that was a star Wars reference and like got it. And it was like <laughs> the most obscure one he could think of. Cause it's, it's the docking bay that Han Solo meets uh, Obi-Wan and Luke at when they're like trying to get off of them. Um, that is a deep uh, cut. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just literally that, like, the way Alec Guinness says 94 is a little weird. Like, mm-hmm. like Harrison Ford says it like a normal thing. Like, yeah, Docking Bay 94. And, like, Alec Guinness just, like, looks at me and goes, 94. And it's just a thing in your brain. <laughs> so, like, that, that popped into my head. That's, like, probably the most secret a Star Wars secret quote has ever been for me. And the other one is that I say, like, sorry about the mess a lot. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, when Han Solo kills Greedo, he's like, Sorry about the mess. I'm like, toss the coin. That's my good one. I think I say I care. Uh, probably <laughs> the that's probably the one that I use the most. Uh, that that sometimes when I say it, I'm not even. I don't even know that I'm quoting Star Wars anymore. Like I just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I care. 
<laughs> I care. Yeah. I definitely have ones that are in my life that I forget their quotes anymore, but they're usually not Star Wars because it's a little more, I don't know, operatic or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, the, I have stuff from Men in Black and Tremors that is just like in my normal lexicon, just in general, mm-hmm. ever, forever. Yeah. Like, um, like if somebody says something's tough, I have to say, ah, oh, it's double tough. Because in Men in Black, it's like what Tommy Lee Jones says. That's tough, yeah. dude. That's double tough. <laughs> Tanas, are there any uh are there any twilight quotes that have entered your everyday life oh my god twilight no um the... and so the Does, lion um... fell in with the lamb <laughs> that cast is like dead and buried i'm like on cast 3.0 right now but uh... <laughs> does gelato isn't vegan count as a secret quote or is that too recognizable because oh, i say that all the time. Um, I also say 21, the way Gimli says it in Two Towers, like a lot. Uh, <laughs> 21. Oh, yeah, I, I say it was a deliberate a lot. Like if I fall or I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm sort of a clumsy person. And um, if I drop something or it was deliberate. It was deliberate. <laughs> it was deliberate. Uh, to that end, I, um, I'm also a procrastinator. And so I say, but it is not this day a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a uh, lot of Lord of the Rings. So, so in the episode, I, I want to confirm this because uh, when Janet is being trashed, Janet on the stage with the gun and she's, you know, yelling and uh, she says something like, all will love me. Like, <laughs> is, she, is that a Galadriel um, secret I, quote? I feel like I was channeling some Galadriel probably. Okay. Thank that you. sounds on I, brand I for me. <laughs> in, my, in my heart, when I was performing that, it was. But good. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Kristen, have you been on Cass's podcast? Because you should be on her podcast. It's like you all should. about Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. no, but I yeah. I love Lord of the Rings. I we will talk also after. Participated in in that fandom for a while. Nice. So I'm I'm on yeah. board. If you want me, I will talk about Lord of the Rings all day. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I think a lot about the way uh, when Gandalf and Frodo are on the cart and, uh, and Frodo's talking about how much how much people don't like Gandalf. And he's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord God, of the I Rings. might just... No, I can't today, but it, this makes <laughs> me want to just watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> are they all streaming? Is there? Are they all? Are they on Netflix? I feel like last uh, I checked, a couple of them are on Netflix. It's never two of them are on Netflix. It's yeah. never Return of the King. That's the uh, best one. Yeah, those are the ones I I still have DVDs for. Yeah, of course. Oh, definitely. I don't yeah. have many DVDs still, but those ones I do. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Matt, do you have any? Uh... I'm just replaying Fellowship in my brain now. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you have any secret quotes that you use in your everyday life? Uh, definitely oh. <laughs> a lot of community. Um, oh, we've been yeah. Yeah. rewatching it for the fourth time in my life, mm. and a uh, lot of community quotes for sure. No, I think I've just adopted cool, cool, cool. Like, oh, same. Since... I say cool, cool, cool <laughs> all the time. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. But like now, like Brooklyn Nine Nine people do it, and they think you're talking about Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh. The, the cadence is different. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't cool. see. Cool, cool, cool. I was just quoting Brooklyn Nine Nine. We're in that exact situation yep. right now. I've never watched Community. Ooh. Oh, whoa, sorry. Yeah, no. So, uh, 
So Abed says, cool, 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 cool. And, yeah. and Jake just says, like, cool, 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 like over and over, right? Mm-hmm. That's how the difference yeah. goes? Yeah. 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 Cool, cool, cool. No doubt, no doubt. With Abed, there's, does, there's a point. Does he then... mean it to be not cool? Like, because in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they say it when things are, you know, a dumpster fire. With Abed, it's normally more of like, uh, I understand. It's sort of like how Krieger, and, Ar- how Krieger and Archer will go, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Words. They're crazy. <laughs> no, community so, any uh, final thoughts to share on the fandom menace from anybody on the panel? Uh, I had a lot of fun listening to this one. It uh, it's it's a little more it's a little more lighter and sitcommy and like funnier than the other two. And you know, just little things like when the two when the two douchebags at the bar are like, "I'll kill you, bro! I'll kill what I love most." No, <laughs> <laughs> bro. No, bro. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> my two biggest laughs while I was re-listening to this was that I'll do what I love most. And the bit it's like an offhand thing that Lorelai says where um uh, Victor's asking her about like soup or whatever, and yeah. she says something like, I already told you yes later. <laughs> 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 and just the way Naomi did that just killed me. <laughs> it's a fun up. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you again to all of my guests, uh, Scott, Nick, Cass, Kristen, Zach, for joining me today. And thank you to all of you, the fans, the underdogs, for listening today. If you'd like to support the show, please join the Dueling Genre Patreon at patreon.com slash DGP. That's DGP as in Dueling Genre Productions. You can also tell your friends, families, and followers to subscribe to Geek by Night on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next round of episodes, the four-part release of Under the Bridge. Thanks for going Beyond Geek by Night with us, and see you next time.